Whether you're a total newbie to podcasting or even if you've had a show before like me, you know how intimidating it can be to start your show. The tech side especially can be daunting. That's why I'm so grateful Anchor exists. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. They knock down all the barriers to entry. Let me explain. First off, it's free. I don't know how or why, but I'm happy about it. The platform's great. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. I can't even begin to describe how much easier it was to get my show on all the major platforms this time than it was a few years ago. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. That's right. You build your show, you make money. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place, and the company is committed to the success of its content creators. Go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. I'm wanted. Wanted! Dead or alive. It's high noon for Thursday, September 3rd, 2020. And today's freak out is about pretending that Trump told people to vote twice, which of course is not what he actually did. But now the media is going to make everyone believe that's what he did and that now they're scrambling to cover their tracks. That's literally the narrative of the day. He was in North Carolina yesterday and was speaking to reporters outside of the plane. And he said, here's the quote. So let them send it in and let them go vote. And if their system's as good as they say it is, then obviously they won't be able to vote. If it isn't tabulated, they'll be able to vote. And so what he was saying was, and what he's been encouraging on Twitter is everybody sending their ballots in early And then seeing if they've been tabulated, which is a process that happens in many states, but not all. And so for those states, obviously, this wouldn't be a proper thing. But what he's saying, this is literally a conditional statement. It's an if then statement. And if you have studied uh, philosophical logic, which not very many people have. The truth value of the statement is based on whether the premise follows or the conclusion follows from the premise. And this is an if then statement. He is making the point that if the system functions as well as they say it does, then they shouldn't be able to vote the second time. So. The people arguing that he actually told people to vote twice are wrong, literally, by by the words he said. 
But they also are putting themselves in a bind, which obviously he knows, and that's why he said it. Because now they either have to argue that voting twice cannot happen, or they have to give up on the idea that male voting is is safe and effective and perfect, and it is not. I think there's something like 319,000 votes uh, in 2016, mail-in votes, mail-in ballots were rejected. That's a hell of a lot of votes. I don't know how anyone feels safe in that process. Like 100,000 in a recent uh, New York City election. New York City went to uh, universal mail-in and weren't even able to declare a winner in one of their local elections. And so they just gave it to someone. The idea that mail-in voting is some perfect system is utterly insane. What would a perfect system look like? It would mean that all the people who tried to use that system had their votes counted. And we know for a fact that isn't true. As good as mail-in balloting might be, it's not as good as in-person voting. So encouraging more mail-in voting opens more opportunity to fraud and bad actors and the chance that your vote might not be counted. Because one of the things they do is they match signatures to the signature on record with the DMV. And so who's deciding whether or not your signature matches? Is your signature the same every time? Mine's not. Mine's a mess. Always. Like I basically only draw the tall letters and only in lines. If that doesn't make sense, I'm sorry. But like the C is a capital letter. It's tall. The H is an H. It's tall. So that's what I'm saying. But the rest of it is just a curvy line. I can sign six checks in a row back when I used to get checks and have different signatures on each one. So who gets to decide whether my signature is valid or not? And why should I trust that person to not look at how I voted before they decide? This is crazy. It's honestly crazy. And the fact that they gave up on the on the mailbox conspiracy weeks ago and have not brought it back up should tell you it was a lie in the first place. And that's the same thing with, uh, you know, the Russian bounty story that they tried to push for a few weeks. They had nothing, but they put the the, uh, the narrative out there and people really believe that. And if they don't really believe it, they at least still use it in arguments to shut other people down, assuming that that person doesn't know better. And that's where we are. These are conspiracy theories. And the fact that the media backs them up and the fact that the Democrats you happen to trust support those conspiracies says nothing about the content of the theory. 
The mailboxes thing was a conspiracy theory. The Russian bounties thing is a conspiracy theory. You can debunk these things on your own. In fact, you can debunk them in the very first news articles you read about them just based on the language that the writers use. Like, for instance, in the coverage of Trump's quote yesterday, they would say things like, Trump floats the idea of voting twice. Trump suggests voting twice. Trump encourages voter fraud. Now, those statements are intentionally left up to interpretation. They are intentionally like wishy-washy. Are you telling me that these reporters, these journalists, these bloggers don't know how to write strong declarative sentences? Of course they do. Or certainly their editor does. So why would they allow these dramatic claims to be made in very passive voice to beat around the bush, to hint at a problem that they are not capable of declaring? It's like what I talk about with uh, the word problematic. Problematic used to be a sensible word that smart people used, especially in, again, philosophical logic. And it would denote a problem in the, in the logical chain. Now it's a word that is used to call people racist and sexist and homophobic without actually leveling the charge. So you don't have to take on the burden of calling someone a racist. You can just imply it by saying that they're problematic. And then if someone doesn't agree, well, that person just doesn't know enough about what's problematic, I guess. They don't know the danger caused by microaggressions. And so Bill Barr was on CNN last night and uh, being interviewed by Wolf Blitzer, which was it's a hilarious interview to watch because Wolf Blitzer is so insecure the entire time. He was at one point trying to say, I, I, I think you'll agree that CNN is fair and balanced. And Barr just laughs at him. And he tries to say it again just to, like, support the idea that CNN is somehow an objective news organization. And this is also coming on the heels of the announcement that CNN will be hosting no presidential interview or uh, debates. And why is that? Because CNN is not taken seriously in any objective sense. Okay. So Wolf Blitzer tries to, he reads the same quote that I read to you and he tries to set Bill Barr up like, why is the president declaring that people should vote twice? And Barr's like, it's pretty obvious that that's not what he's declaring. He, <laughs> he's obviously pointing out that the people who say they fully trust these systems and that these systems work and are flawless are consistently repeating a lie and they know that it is a lie. And here is proof that they know it is a lie because Trump just pointed out a problem. The media went hook, line and sinker because they are still trying to prove 
that Trump is some strange authoritarian dictator who is trying to rig the election himself when all the available evidence points to the exact opposite. They make him out to be crazy by saying that these systems are perfect and everyone knows it. And then he points out a way that the system could be abused. (laughs) And now everybody is busy declaring that he's actually encouraging people to do that and exploit the system that they have been saying all this time is perfect. That's lunacy. It certainly isn't a consistent position. Whereas Trump's position saying that universal mail-in balloting introduces fraud and that it's a terrible idea and that they're obviously trying to change the method of voting two months before an election still, and they've been doing this all summer, since May, really. They're trying to change the method of voting. Trump points that out. Trump points out again and again the problems with mail-in voting and the places and instances where the problems have happened. Multiple times a week, there's a new story of voter fraud. And he's the conspiracy theorist? How? I really, really, really don't get this. I don't understand how anyone can believe this and argue this. While the party they're defending is literally trying to change the method of voting while shutting down polling centers and based on coronavirus and while opening up stadiums so that people can vote because, you know, LeBron James. It's crazy. So let's switch gears for a second here. Or for the whole time, maybe we're just totally switching gears and there's no switching gears back because we are on a timeline that always progresses forward. S.E. Cup wrote a piece talking about how the greatest aspect of a Joe Biden presidency would be that they get relief from the current political environment, the current political narrative. First of all, that point doesn't make any sense at all. Okay. No one aside from the media is afflict is, is inflicting this state of mind on you. If you are a person like S.E. Cup who has extreme Trump derangement, Trump is not making you upset. The media is making you upset or you are making you upset. Trump is an unorthodox president with a mode of speaking that bothers a lot of people. But no one has to participate in this every day. People choose to because it makes them look interesting or important or relevant or socially conscious on Instagram and Twitter. People spend their whole days doing this not trying to get to the bottom of issues, not trying to figure out what's actually going on, 
not trying to communicate to other people about what's going on because they don't know. They are expressing their constant displeasure with what Trump has done to their own self-image. So that part already is crazy. If you are stressed out by the political environment, if you are sick of the political environment, stop supporting the mainstream media and their central narrative. No one has to participate in that every day. And there is no relief to come just by Joe Biden being president unless you really are doing this for show. Because all you're saying is that you are upset and you don't like to be upset. And so we should vote for the next president so that you are not upset. If Democrats had the power to solve any of the problems that they consistently say are plaguing society, they would have done so in the last 60 years they've been saying it. Barack Obama was president with a supermajority in the Senate and a House majority. He had all the political power necessary to reshape the country according to their political philosophy, and he did not. He was rejected completely two years after taking office. And it's not because he's black and it's not because Republicans hate health care. Barack Obama could have done all these things. There is no reason in a city like Los Angeles and San Francisco and Chicago and New York where they have the entirety of the government, why those places will still be failing the same people that all these politicians were elected to help, who they promised to help. And beyond that, the goal of politics is not to provide you psychic relief, to even suggest that that is the reason you are voting is to be admitting that you are one of the most privileged people on earth. Politics has absolutely no connection to your real life other than how you see yourself and how you signal about the world to others. Otherwise, how can you prioritize your own psychic relief over things that actually matter, like whether or not you're allowed to go to work or open your business, whether or not you can be removed from your job or your trade for random internet rumors or some way you might have misspoken. How does it not matter? More that the police are being defunded by Democrats and less able to protect the very communities you say you care about. How does that matter 
less than your psychic relief. I could go on about this all day, every single issue. But there is this segment of the country who prioritizes their own psychic relief over the good of everyone else. And those people are in the media, in tech, in academia, in entertainment, in corporations. They don't even hide the fact that everything is about getting Trump out of office. And it's amazing to me, like, think about how you consider corporations, big corporations, right? Do you imagine that corporations are interested in substantive change over the economy and other aspects of American life? Of course they're not. Why would they be interested in substantive change unless it benefited them? And who do they support? They support Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. Because they know that they will not be hurt no matter what they say. They want to take down Donald Trump. I'm going to switch gears again because this shit is like a Ferrari. So I hope you all heard my episode with Dewan Black uh, posted it on Saturday. Great uh, young black conservative, real sharp guy. No fear at being outspoken. I love that. So on Twitter last night, he posts, he reposts a, a poll that had breakdowns of whites with college degrees, whites without college degrees, blacks, Hispanics, and then uh, a breakdown by age. And he said, looking at this, you might think that whites are the only ones who can get college degrees. And I was like, yeah, wow, that is interesting. Why isn't, why aren't black and Hispanic voters divided by whether or not they have college degrees. Where are Asians? I would really, really like to see those numbers, the breakdowns of the other ethnic profiles based on whether or not they have college degrees. Because the purpose of these breakdowns is to show that the white people with college degrees will primarily vote Democrat, which makes them the smart ones, right? White people without college degrees will tend to vote Republican. And so we're able to say that, look, white people without degrees are dumb. White people with degrees vote primarily for Democrats. And, oh, look, black Americans vote primarily for Democrats and Hispanic Americans vote for Democrats, which means the smart white people know that they are on the side of black and Hispanic voters, which reinforces the belief that that is actually beneficial to black and Hispanic Americans and their communities. 
Why can't we see whether or not the smart ones in other ethnicities agree? We know they don't agree about the need for political correctness. We know they don't agree with Democrats on many of the issues. Why don't we get the full information? Why isn't that part of the conversation? Or should we just allow the narrative to continue? Switching gears again, vroom, vroom. Kaylee McEnany did a uh, press conference this morning, and she started the press conference by talking about Nancy Pelosi's visit to her hair salon. And she played the video on loop of Nancy Pelosi in the hair salon while she was doing it, which was very funny. And trolling the media is actually a great thing. The media and the, you know, respectability people think that this is a terrible breakdown of norms. The terrible breakdown of norms is the media constantly lying about everything and not caring about objectivity and arguing specifically that they should be biased in their coverage based on social justice issues. If you listen to controlled demolition, I don't think that you'll have any way to dispute this. Okay. But so she does that and Nancy Pelosi actually blamed the salon owner. And she says that other salon owners in town who feel really hurt by the fact that their businesses are still closed except for her. She says they owe her an apology. That's insane. She is the most powerful Democratic politician in the country. Certainly more powerful than Joe Biden, even though that's kind of not how things are supposed to work. But, I mean, Joe Biden's not totally there. But the most powerful Democrat in the country, the one who has complained at long length about every possible thing that Donald Trump does to deny the central narrative around coronavirus. She complains about all of this. She lives in a state with some of the most stringent coronavirus restrictions in the country. And she's saying that other people need to apologize to her. If she actually didn't know the rules, then her response should immediately have been, wow, I really didn't know that salons were still closed and I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that the rest of the state has the same opportunity that I have. And that these businesses, which present no harm and no threat to anyone, including like 80-year-old Nancy Pelosi without a mask on, should be allowed to reopen. But instead, she's going after the salon owner. And so are her supporters. The salon owner was on Tucker Carlson last night talking about how she's received death threats. 
and she thinks she has to move out of her community and shut her salon for good because of Nancy Pelosi. Is that what a leader does? A leader blames a person who they personally put out of business for six months. One of their own constituents who they're supposed to represent. She brings the wrath of social media and divisive politics down on this one person. It's just horrible behavior. And speaking of masks, I was, I've been thinking about this over the last few days and was just thinking about it while running. And uh, the idea that your mask protects me and my mask protects you is so on its face stupid that I'm amazed anyone bought it, right? So if I'm in a situation with one other person and that person has their mask on, And they're like, hey, why don't you put your mask on? And I'm like, oh, well, I'm not really worried about getting coronavirus. And they're like, yeah, but your mask protects me. And I'm like, well, yeah, but I don't have coronavirus. And then they're like, well, I don't have coronavirus either. So your mask is protecting me from what? Well, from the virus getting through, of course. Okay, well, why doesn't your mask protect you from that? Oh, 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 oh. It's because the virus can only go through the mask in one direction. God. Fucking genius. The fact that this idea has been drilled into all of our heads is really pernicious. And here's why. We have been shaming people now for months that they are not taking enough responsibility for people they don't know and will never meet. And to do that, they're recommending an action that we all know isn't effective. Okay. But you see, this is basically the entire electing philosophy behind the democratic party. They're saying that your needs should be put secondary to the needs of the people. We tell you, You're supposed to help, even though you might never meet them or talk to them or know them or understand what their problems are. You're going to believe us about what we say their problems are, and then you're going to enact the exact solution we tell you, which is voting for us. So your vote doesn't protect you. Your vote protects other people. And so long as you can convince enough people that this is the only way that they can be morally good and in a safe society, they will go along with it.
And if you can signal to everyone else that you're the good person, all the better. Because that just reinforces the message that it's morally good to pretend to do something on someone else's behalf. No matter how insignificant or important. And then if you don't go along with them, they will tell you that you are voting against your own best interest. How's that? How am I voting against my own best interest unless all of these people are voting in my best interest? But other people are not voting in my best interest and I don't expect them to. This is completely fucking backwards. This is bizarro world. And this is what I'm talking about. Like I said yesterday, I didn't come up with this notion. It's a very old common notion that the Democrats are the party of projection. They will accuse everyone else of what they themselves are doing. They will say you are not voting in your best interest by voting for Republicans. And then they will also tell you that it is your responsibility as a voter to vote in someone else's best interest. You are being encouraged not to look out for yourself because someone else is going to take care of you. And lo and behold, it's them, the Democrats. They're going to take care of everybody. You want universal basic income? Sure, we can say we're going to do that. You want to never have to go to work? Why not? You want a $15 minimum wage, even though the action you're doing does not create $15 an hour worth of market value? Sure. I'm sure someone will foot the bill. I mean, it won't be a small business, of course. Maybe McDonald's or Walmart will do that. Oh, but oh, yeah, but then they're just going to automate those jobs. So now you don't have a job either. But we did get $15 minimum wage because everybody else looked out for someone else's interest. Hallelujah. We have solved everything. The logic is circular always. It never makes sense. We have to stop believing this bullshit. Look at what Nancy Pelosi did as opposed to what she says. I will be back Tomorrow, at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network, I don't have a network. Listen to more Hopesful. Goodbye. If you like the show, please share it with your friends and give it a five-star rating on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts so new listeners can take your word for it. You can follow the show on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at I'm Your Moderator. If you have feedback, you can email heymoderator at imyourmoderator.com or use the hashtag heymoderator on Twitter. If you'd like to support the show, search Be Reasonable on Patreon, where I'll have additional daily-ish segments in a special podcast feed of the show, as well as my writing and audio readings of those articles. You can also go to anchor.fm slash be reasonable and become a supporter there. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Be reasonable.
Smith acting as moderator for tonight's broadcast. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm Your Moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm Your Moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!